Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader, and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Adrian Ling, Managing Director of Plamel Foods, which has been manufacturing vegan food products in the UK since the 1960s. Plamel was the first company in Europe to produce dairy-free milk and later the first to make dairy-free chocolate. Committed to making products that are good for animals, people and planet, the company has a comprehensive environmental and ethics policy. A lifelong vegan, Adrian has spent more than 30 years in the food industry. His father, Arthur Ling, went vegan in 1927, before the term was even coined almost 20 years later. Having joined Plamel when it had just four employees, Adrian has grown the company and product range from the original food canning line to a 24-hour operation with almost 50 staff and an extensive range of confectionery and condiment products which sell to retailers and manufacturers worldwide. The most recent launch is the So Free range of chocolate and snack bars with no added sugar. Nicknamed the British Willy Wonka because he literally has his own chocolate factory. How cool is that? (laughs) Adrian oversees production at the company's dedicated vegan manufacturing plant, which is run on 100% renewable energy in Folkestone, England. He spent a number of years on the UK Vegan Society Council and has made presentations at a number of food expos and chocolate conferences. Recently nominated as a Free From Superhero in 2017, Adrian's knowledge and experience of managing a specialist food business, new product development, and his nuts and bolts knowledge of many production lines enables him to provide unique insight into vegan food standards and production. In this interview, Adrian talks about why the company manufactures other brands' products that will compete on the shelf with Plamel. Why Plamel created its own vegan certified trademark, which it also licenses to other brands. The potential impact of Brexit on vegan businesses. What to take into account when seeking international distribution for your product. The downsides of animal product companies buying vegan brands. The importance of innovating and keeping up with changing markets and trends. And much more. Here's the interview with Adrian Ling from Plamel Foods. Hello, Adrian. Thank you very much for joining me. It's so wonderful to be with you. I'm so happy to speak to you because I love Plamel. Um, Plamel absolutely helped me when I went vegan 20 years ago. You did the best vegan creamy chocolate, and um, you've got such the company's got such a wonderful, long, and fascinating history. Started by your father Arthur back in the 1960s, and then you took it over, and you've really grown the company. So, tell us what, why you do this. So, why did you take over Plamel, and why do you run it? Well, I've been at uh, Plamel for now over 30 years, so um, it is really a case of 
wanting it to succeed further, to grow further, um, and to really promote veganism in, in all its forms and to do what we can in that um, promotion of veganism. Wonderful. I love that. And I love the fact that you're doing it via chocolate. And I think when we spoke, uh, previously spoke, you said that you were, were nicknamed the Willy Wonka of the UK because you've got your own chocolate factory. <laughs> yes, that often does happen. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, a lot of the times what I found, particularly with small business owners um, and including in the food sector, the more ethical they try to be, so for example, if they're organic or, you know, they're certified fair trade and, and this kind of thing, they end up being, the end product ends up having to be quite expensive, which I think is rather tragic. You know, the ethical has to be more expensive. Now, I know that Plamel has a really extensive and comprehensive ethics and environmental policy to ensure that your products are ethical in regards to people, animals and planet. So I'm just curious how you deal with that challenge to be ethical and stay competitive and attract customers. Well, we all have to find our own paths and, what, and, and market what we think is uh a good product um, at a reasonable price with those ethics um, and it is a balance that we strike at Plamel by uh, analysing and looking into as far as possible all the different ingredients and how they're grown and come together and we making some decisions about our supply chain um, and that all goes towards making uh, a vegan product. Um, as you indicate there are also vegan products and there, there, there are some jolly good vegan products which actually don't analyze that chain. They are specifically and only um, fulfilling that direct dietary vegan requirement. We actually want to do a little bit more than that. We want to say, okay, we want to look at the environment. We want to look at the, um, the, the uh, whole ecology and the human expense, particularly in chocolate, of actually producing the products we ha we have, so we are very keen to obviously um, go further than uh, not exploiting uh, child labour um, and look at all those other elements of our supply chain to ensure that we are actually making not only a good nutritional product but also one that we are confident is doing the least damage to the environment, that is helping the environment, or actually coming around to uh, progressing and people's ideas in, in the environment itself. So it's a, it's a whole element of how we look at things, and it's something that has been happening um, throughout Plamel's history. It was actually created um, to have this uh, vegan role to actually produce these, these, this dairy free type products but there was always an element in the in the background that the people were and had environment uh, environment ethics in mind for instance my father was involved in a biofuels business right back in the 50s and so there's always an element of that environmentalism um, of that uh, global type of awareness right back at that point obviously at the time People didn't realise that that's what it would be called now, but it is now. For sure. So how do you get it to apply? Do you, do you find that you're able to, or you have to price your products that bit more just to kind of counter or to take in those extra costs that involve being ethical? Yeah, absolutely. You do have to um, take into account and, and, and make our products um, at a higher probably uh, shelf price than a number of other products and, and uh, that is an unfortunate aspect of um, historically where vegan has come from 
is that those following a vegan diet um, perhaps did not have as many pennies to spend um, on products than uh, than other sectors of the community. We're finding now that that is balanced, and as veganism grown, it's, it's actually going through all types of uh, household incomes, and therefore people are willing to uh, not only recognise they want a vegan product, but they want to take that purchasing power a little bit further. And obviously, for us, we're we're also looking to say, well, support a vegan company because there are many really good vegan products out there, but actually they're produced by the conglomerates and the companies that produce and uh, are actually very much involved in animal cruelty. Yeah. And so we, we're hoping that uh, consumers see and we're trying to get over that con- consumers understand that it's not only what the product is, but where the money goes, where the profit goes that that company uh, produces when, when that product has been made and sold. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it sounds like in terms of your market, obviously vegans are buying your products and have been for a long time, but it sounds like you've also got other markets as well that maybe don't necessarily, or not necessarily looking at the fact that it's vegan, but maybe they are health conscious or they're environment, like you touched on, environmentally conscious, or maybe they're in the free from market, which I imagine is quite big for you as well. Well, this is uh, one of the, the, the aspects that uh, Plymouth has learned again, historically, is because there were not enough vegans to sustain a business, but that's the food we were trying to make and we do make, um, is the fact that there just were not the numbers to sustain a, a vegan business. So you have to look at selling vegan products to other sectors of the market, whether it to be to the more health conscious, to be to the um, intolerant of a certain uh, um, foods, um, uh, allergic to, or people who are interested in organic or fair trade or other aspects. So, so it's having a, a multi-dimensional approach to the marketing and having lots of um, really good key selling points to a product that goes towards having a, a, a full, uh, complete market um, product that everybody would like to, to buy. So, yes, vegans in their numbers are growing rapidly and, and uh, throughout Europe that is happening, but uh, we still appeal to a lot of the other sectors of the market as well. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, I believe the majority of your sales are wholesale and Plamel products are available in stores in the UK and, of course, internationally. Um, what are some of the challenges involved in distribution, particularly internationally? Well, it is a matter of understanding the marketplace and the distribution channels to that marketplace um, for vegan-type products to which we have um, sold for many, many years uh, in the UK, it is really uh, analysing and seeing which country is going to be more vegan, which country perhaps is going to have a greater number or a greater growth and working and developing in those countries um, to gain that extra marketplace. Uh, for instance, in Germany right at this moment that the vegan movement is absolutely on a crest of a wave and it is a marketplace that we have supplied for maybe 20 years and we would be working with a very small specialist wholesaler um, for that length of time and remember of course the internet has been 
only around very, very recently. And so um, web shops, for instance, and communication um, have been an incredibly powerful tool in actually the distribution because somebody now can be in one country and we can have a single distributor in that country selling online to anybody in that country, anybody that could be hundreds of miles away, which couldn't have happened a number of years ago. <clears throat> so you have an enormous um, increase in, in, in methods of market to uh, distribution now. Got it. What, about, what advice would you give to, say, perhaps some other vegan brands that are coming up and they say, oh, you know, I want to get in the big supermarket chains, you know, so I want to be in Tesco or Sainsbury's or, you know, the equivalent in other countries. What are your thoughts on that? Because I know the one argument is, you know, we want these brands to be accessible so people, you know, of all walks of life can see them, you know, where they would see other similar things. But how, I know sometimes with, with those big supermarkets, they can squeeze your profit margins and can sometimes be a bit unethical as well. So what are your thoughts on or any advice you would offer on getting into some of the big supermarket chains? Well, price is obviously a, a, a great key. And I think this is a double-edged sword to, um, to the, the vegans and the vegan movement in a sense is that because supermarkets are undoubtedly interested in vegan products now, they would be foolish not to look for for vegan products to sell to all those potential customers. The danger for um, the consumer is that the most unnutritious product, which is vegan, is sold to the supermarket, and it is done because um, price is the sole factor. And so... Um, there is a danger that a lot of vegan products uh, may end up on the shelf, which actually are nutritionally not that beneficial. They are um, uh, and, and can be very skewed or not have the vitamins or, or such. So there is a danger to consumers. For companies going into um, and trying to sell their wares to supermarkets and chain stores, um, it is mostly about margins and having a brand awareness and being very, very aware that there will be requirements of market support um, and that is cost to the manufacturer. So just because you're selling a, a certain product at a certain case price, um, don't be fooled into thinking that will be the price that you're <laughs> going to walk away with in the end. There will be a lot of other hidden costs in promotions. Got and it. everything else. And they are really keyed into um, most supermarkets with, with vegan type of foods. It would be about um, price promotions so that everything is done to encourage the customer to try this, to buy this, to try it again. Right, got it, got it. Now, in terms of manufacture, Adrian, now you manufacture your own products, your own chocolate and everything in a dedicated vegan facility in the UK. So there's no chance of any may contain milk or eggs or any other of the nasties. Why did you go this route instead of um, outsourcing manufacture? Well, there's a number of uh, reasons why we continue to manufacture now and, and uh, manufacture to start with, obviously to start with. Um, when we produce soy milk and we produce dairy-free chocolate is because actually, um, well, believe it or not, chocolate is one of those hard things to produce as a dairy-free um, product because historically um, 
chocolate has been made on machinery that is very difficult to clean down and therefore um, companies making dairy-type chocolate could not produce dairy-free chocolate. And that is why um, you now get may contain milk in many products that are still, even today, um, classed as vegan. But Plamel decided to produce and invest in a product that was difficult to actually 100% call vegan. That's why Plamel got into manufacturing and, uh, and continues to do so. Brilliant. Now, I believe you also manufacture other vegan chocolate brands and basically compete with them on the shelves, which is quite fascinating. Tell us a bit about why you do that and what the benefits are to you for do, of doing that. Well, we have uh, we have produced uh, chocolate, and we uh, we do that for a uh, for a number of companies. And um, the advantages are uh, to start with that uh, you can literally fill your production lines up with um, product and manufacturing, and everybody benefits from um, a scale of production. Um, so there are enormous. Uh, advantages in doing that um, and it is a very good way of other companies to start off and often it will be with non-competing products but in the end there will be some competing products and, and someone much wiser than myself um, has stated that uh, they dislike all their um, competitors but they need them too and I think it, it keeps uh, it keeps everybody on their toes if you have a competitor and they're looking to do a little bit this or market in a different way the outcome of that is that it is good for the marketplace and it is good for vegans. Fantastic I love that it's kind of that it's a good bit of collaboration which is unusual that you wouldn't really see that necessarily I guess um, outside of that that arena so I think that's uh, that's pretty pretty cool which is um fantastic now so we talked a little bit about that as you said there's a lot of vegan products on the market there's chocolates lots of dairy-free spreads coming out and uh, they're as you mentioned they're produced by both vegan brands as well as mainstream brands who are jumping on this plant-based trend that's happening so um and i guess you've probably touched on this a little bit i was just going to ask you how you go about standing out both within the vegan business arena and outside of it well, we try and obviously get over our our message that we are a vegan company um, and that ultimately the profits we make will be going back into um, a vegan setup and more vegan products. <clears throat> that is something that we are trying to get over more and more um, because we find obviously the competition uh, can be there on shelf and it can be a vegan product but made by a non-vegan company who have absolutely no interest in um, furthering vegan and veganism. They are just there to make a, a, a profit. And I do see over a period of time that uh, uh, recognize there has been an argument that's saying, oh, well, more vegan products on the shelf, that's only good for veganism. And in a way it isn't. But people do tend to think that it will encourage companies to make more vegan products by uh, um, by buying the product the vegan product from a non-vegan company and I and I think that again this is um, a, perhaps a wishful thinking and I can think of a couple of brands of products uh, which I won't actually name their brands which started off very heavily supported by vegans what wonderful companies uh, they were ultimately they have been sold to a um, animal um, 
orientated farming type dairy companies who have um, changed uh, over the emphasis and the money now is clearly going towards the dairy part of the business or the animal part of the business. And that's very, very disappointing, which is why I think, you know, again, it is not only the, the brand that somebody is buying, it is actually what that brand is and what it stands for that is important. And I think that is starting to come up in consumers' um, minds more and more. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I, I, I struggle sometimes with that argument because on the one hand, it kind of makes sense. You know, you kind of want more of them to, you know, make more money. The more they make from the vegan products, then hopefully they'll phase out the animal side of things. But then the problem arises, as you say, with that they may be using the money that's coming from the plant-based or the vegan side to prop up the animal side. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting times because we know we would have thought in our lifetime that these animal companies would even buy up vegan products so it's it's interesting times now and on that I know that you um, you actually have your own trademark so there are various certifications vegan certifications um, that products can get you actually have your own plamel trademark can you tell us a bit about why you decided to yeah to bring that in and use your own the uh, the Plamel, the vegan uh, trademark that Plamel um, promotes and has all came about from um, slight changes made within the UK and legislation that, that occurred. And really what happened is that uh, many, many years ago, um, the Vegan Society, and I've been a member of the, uh, the Vegan Society Council, and at the time we decided to launch a, a vegan trademark, um, and with the criteria of, of what we saw was uh, very good for veganism at the time. And I mean, in fact, Plamel were the first to uh, to use that uh, trademark. And um, we actually paid for a lot of uh, its uh, inception and um, promoted it heavily before it got anywhere for many, many years. Um, but what happened was legislation came along, which is generally known as the allergen type of legislation, where... Um, a, a, a little term which now probably everybody has heard of, the may contain type um, statements are used or, or something similar to that. Um, and at the time and still currently the UK Vegan Society allows the may contain um, dairy, eggs or fish a statement within the use of their trademark. Uh, Plamel were um, very vocal about the um, very counterintuitive message that this was giving to consumers and decided that um, we could no longer support the UK uh, vegan trademark and therefore we um, started our own trademark, which we actually license for free. So we actually give that to uh, companies who are willing to actually state that they will use it, but they will only use it without any may contain uh, statement. So we, we find customers greatly appreciate that the, the, the great clarity and, and when people realize um, that actually a may contain statement can be used, um, most, people, most vegans are pretty horrified. Um, we do know there's the, there's the answer that the vegan products, well, they're socially changing and we shouldn't get into the... Uh, the very small amounts of allergen that are um, present perhaps in a may contain statement. Um, the counter argument that we have with that is that the may contain statement we know is used when considerable amounts of uh, contamination can occur. It's not just tiny amounts. Um, and secondly, we argue that 
if manufacturers uh, recognize and understand the protocols in the ingredient separation that they have for allergens, that should be then easily translated into all the other um, uh, vegan food, vegan ingredients, i.e. actually separating out the non-vegan ingredients, the, the, uh, the, the, the meat and many other items that vegans wouldn't have um, normally shown on, on a label. And there's a classic UK example that a chicken samosa was only actually withdrawn from sale because it was found to contain milk, not it was found to contain chicken. So uh, there's an instance there where the manufacturer, had it not contained milk, nobody would have uh, actually um, known that this occurred. So this is where we say for standards of production and for consumer um, uh, clarity, we, we believe that the uh, the vegan symbol should not have any may contain. Got it, got it. So you're raising the bar, basically, for, for manufacturers. It, it, personally, I, I, I do believe and we I recognise that every vegan individual has their own standard of vegan. And we all know that, um, uh, you know, that it goes from someone who is vegan for a day to somebody who, who claims they're vegan and then they say, oh, but I may have a little bit of this and I may have a little bit of that in my stand. So we understand that the, the journey towards what we like to, you know, to all say I am vegan is, is a long and complex road and we, we want to encourage everybody in that road and get that the maximum number of people there. But on the other hand, we do believe that a food, if it is claimed to be vegan on the label, should be 100% vegan. Then if those people who are aspiring to be vegan can have that choice, that's good. So there's a clear definition between the product should be vegan and the, uh, the, the, the actual person and the, uh, all the different people choosing it should be um, the same. And I'd actually like to say also that, of course, in our standards, it does recognize that the standards of manufacture are as far as possible. And, and so it is very easy translatable, the same standards from somebody who is making a vegan sandwich in a corner shop to a multi-million pound um, company. The principles are the same, but the costs would be different. So a corner shop may say, oh, yes, I need to recognize I need to wash my knife and my chopping board when I'm doing a certain product. A manufacturer with millions and millions of pounds of turnover using the same principles of as far as possible will be doing a lot of testing and will be doing a lot of extra work. So it is all very, very proportional. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. Now, I believe you you took over. This was a family business, and you took it over. And I think you were an engineer before that. So, and then you've you've really kind of grown Plamel and you know introduced it to all these different marketplaces. What are some of the things you did, or some of the marketing strategies you've used to really kind of grow the brand? I think it comes back to. Um, looking at the marketplace and where the most people are going to be. As I've said, from our perspective, we recognize that um, there are not enough or there weren't enough vegans present in the UK to run to, to, to sell enough products. Um, and so it's a matter of looking for those other markets and then marketing to those people as far as possible. And over a period of time, those 
criteria change and, and, and those, those people change. And indeed, the marketplace and everybody else uh, moves along and fair trade is started and then there's a, a less sugar environment. And so it's recognizing that over a period of time that we must change our, our own marketing. And hence, as you started off, we've actually started our own new brand, which is actually launching um, next week onto the marketplace in retailers. Um, and that's a major shift for us as well. Um, so, you know, never get stuck in the mud. Always keep looking for two or three years in advance, 10 years in advance, because things will change and you don't want to be left behind. Yeah, that's very true. What's special about the new brand? I know you've mentioned it. It's called So Free. So well, what's special about this? So Free is really a, 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 both an amalgamation of everything that we we do um, and we work towards and an improvement of, and it's really a honing in on on all the good parts of of our ranges that we have built up over a period of time, and it is also a chance to perhaps clear out some of the uh, other items that we've decided that. Um, whilst they were good products, did not sell in sufficient numbers to warrant it. So every now and then it is worth just saying to yourself, do you know what, I'm putting 80% of my effort into 20% of my profit, 20% of my sales. So I really need to uh, concentrate on the larger bits. So there is that element of of actually focusing and refocusing in the marketplace um, and gaining the the actually the efficiency that is starting to be really demanded, and we come back to talking about supermarkets, that you have to be absolutely 100% efficient, um, and there's no room for uh, for extra costs where there where there don't need to be some really. Yeah, that makes sense. So you it's know, a real amalgamation hmm. of, of of those things, and it it you know it is absolutely captured um, consumer minds, consumers who have seen it absolutely love the brand and what it does is it actually introduces um, fun and uh, positiveness back into um, vegan and free from chocolate quite often it's been sold into the niche market the children's market um, and it looks pretty bland on the shelf um, what we've introdu- introduced is is fun and enjoyment back into chocolate, and that's where it should be. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'll look forward to checking it out. Now, you know when you said you market to these other markets, like say, for example, um, diabetic market wants sugar-free, and maybe they don't necessarily they're not care whether it's vegan or not. How much do you push or otherwise push the vegan message? Like I'm wondering with certain brands, like just in your marketing, do you maybe tone down uh, or the, the way you use the word vegan in your marketing to non-vegan markets? Our vegan trademark is on all our products. Right. Um, but we do recognize that, for instance, in our no-added-sugar chocolate range, um, the importance of um, that being no milk is probably less. So whilst we are proud to put vegan trademark on everything, we have to recognize um, that the marketplace it may not be looking for that. But that doesn't take away that our product is vegan. Um, it just means that the people who are buying it are actually buying a um, a vegan product, unexpectedly maybe, or even um, without caring that it was vegan. To me, that is a, a really good um, 
things for veganism because it is too easy for vegan companies to be selling into the vegan market and going to vegan shows and being very good at within the vegan community when actually what we are really trying to do is we are trying to sell to the non-vegans. We are trying to get the product to marketplaces to which um, would not normally being sold because the ultimate game, the ultimate aim is really to get non-vegan products sold less. And if our mm-hmm. product can be the one that is purchased instead of the non-vegan product, we are therefore reducing animal suffering because it doesn't matter who has bought it, but they are inherently by buying our product not contributing to that uh, to that type of trade. Huh? So there, there, there is a double-edged sword there, and again, where we say, you know, we, we want to sell to vegans, but actually sometimes I don't really mind. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Now, now, over the years, I think Plamel's been in business for such a long time, and obviously with any business, and the longer it's in business, there's going to be ebbs and flows and ups and downs and what have you, and you've survived the uh, the GFC, global economic the crisis in 2008. Now we've got Brexit, and at the time of this interview, I think the Brexit talks have just started. What are your thoughts or opinions on how Brexit will impact UK vegan mm-hmm. businesses that have that connection with Europe? Well, yes, um, we start apparently the uh, the Brexit talks today, and uh, I see on the news we've been all following it uh, from since last Jan- um, June that um, the position is uh, changing rapidly. And, and as we speak, we've just had another general election, which seems to have changed <laughs> the politicians' minds on um, on Brexit. Um, and I think there are two elements here. Uh, I think there is one, the immediate economic influences that it has, and the second, whether it will affect veganism in itself. And, and, and I'll just deal with the second one. I personally think that uh, Brexit or non-Brexit or um, in vegan historic terms will be insignificant. Um, veganism is far too strong. The arguments are far too positive for anything such as Brexit in the long term to affect the movement in itself. So I think it is for veganism an irrelevance. On the shorter term scale, in the, on, on the economic one, which generally most of us live in, um, I think it's had and will have a, a, a large impact on um, the businesses that could be growing and selling into Europe in the same way it will be affecting other businesses. And I think uh, it is a very, to me personally, it's a very sad day that we're entering into talks of leaving a community of um, like-minded because we have more in common than we, than we don't have in common. Um, and we have a trading relationship um, and it seems to be that the UK has forgotten its geography and has forgotten um, that actually its biggest marketplace is in Europe. And um, if we are selling into Europe and it becomes difficult to sell there, there are customs, there is delays, um, it, it is even more difficult to sell into Europe, then it is going to be not only hard for us to sell, but buyers in Europe will be saying, why should we buy from UK companies? I can buy from another inside the EU uh, company 
who are selling maybe something similar, but I, it's easier. I would have far stable prices and I want to support somebody uh, within the EU. So I think there is that el- element of um, great deal of uncertainty that is not helping. We've also been hit by um, at the exchange rate, very large exchange rate changes in the last year as well. So that hasn't helped British business um, a great deal. So overall, I think um, the UK leaving Europe is very misguided, is very political, um, but in vegan terms, probably historically will be looked back to be irrelevant. Got it, got it. So we're just getting to the last couple of questions now. For, for those people who, because uh, you've been in this business for so long, like you mentioned, you've, you've been in Plamel over 30 years. Um, for those who are aspiring to, you know, they're wanting to get in on this, they want to start up their own ethical, vegan-run business of any kind, um, what, in your opinion, are the key things they need to ca- take into account before leaving the day job and get, becoming self-employed and starting their own venture? I would always recommend people um, to know their marketplace um, and to understand how the market works, not only from the product. So we, we do see many people and very small startups, and they have a usually quite a really good idea. Um, it either is a product, um, and we're, we're often asked actually to, can you make this and can you make that for us? Um, and the product tastes great, but actually it is not a commercial product because it can't be made into a shelf-stable way or for some reason other. Technically, it becomes very difficult to scale up from a kitchen to a commercial product. So people need to be aware that, yes, they can make a great vegan product, but can they make it commercially? Can they make it commercially uh, economic? And then do they know how they're going to distribute that product? Um, and having an eye on, uh, yes, well, I can bake a cake and I can sell it to a pound to a neighbor, for instance. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and I can get a great business like that. But then suddenly they may be uh, one to say, oh, I can sell a thousand of these and my costs will go down. But actually they don't realize the profit that is required in the supply chain. So there were maybe a wholesaler and a handler and a dealer and they will need other certifications. And suddenly in the shop, what they sold a cake to a neighbor for a pound is uh, 10 pounds, for instance. And everybody's saying, oh, no, you'll never sell them for 10 pounds. So there's, <laughs> there has to be an idea of economics as well as practicality yeah and on that just in regards to funding so there's different ways obviously to fund a business because then every kind of business has some kind of startup cost so I'm curious what are your thoughts on some of the the options and I, I'm not sure whether Plamel has investors or because that's a whole kind of topic in and of itself you know the kind of risks of getting um, investors in or loans or crowdfunding even so is there anything you can sort of share around that well just very interesting from from a plamel point of view um, we are a private limited company with a number of uh, of shareholders and that's in the very traditional style of um, investing and having shares and and numbers of shares um, and that was really started up as we've said in the 60s no internet so there's no crowdfunding so the actual root of how people funded um, the project was literally writing round to friends or groups or and a very, very slow process. And it always amazes me when 
you look at some of the historical documents of plan well how anything ever got done when someone had to send <laughs> a letter and get to reply a week later i mean now someone sends an email or they pick up or you know things are done absolutely instantly and not only to one person but you can post to a thousand people or something yeah. on, on social media so um but that is still a very traditional route and it, it, it is still um, worthwhile considering of setting up a private limited company. And it really depends on the style of how somebody wants to raise money and they have to recognize the expectations of those that are investing within you. It is not, and people do seem to think this with crowdfunding, people seem to think, oh, I've raised £100,000, I've raised £500,000, or I've even raised £10,000 for my project. They seem to forget that it is a loan, and it is not being given money, and they need to be able to pay it back. So they need to manage expectations, and they always need to, in the end, unfortunately, when it comes down to it, they need to make a profit to pay those um, investors back Um because investors aren't very happy, obviously, if they lose money and your next venture won't go anywhere because nobody will uh, will invest in you. So, again, it, it, crowdfunding is great, but it does lend people to believe it's easy money. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and that is something that I would always stress. It doesn't really matter how you raise it. It's great if you can, but you always have to pay it back. Absolutely. In terms of having private investors, I guess it's very, just being very sure that they are have the same ethics as you, or see the same thing for the company as you do. I, I was I was going to add, uh, and as you very clearly say, when Plamel started, it was ensuring that the shareholders all had the same aims, um, and that if you have investors that do not have the same aims, that clearly may have aims of either profit or um, any other aim, you have to be very careful because you could be have a very successful business and in the worst case scenario is that one of those investors says, no, I need you to make more profit and therefore you must make a product that is supplying in uh, it's maybe a dairy ingredient or yeah, something else, which yeah. you inherently wouldn't want to do. So you have to be very careful about the long-term um, aims of uh, of any investor. Fantastic. Finally, what have been the key lessons you've learned through running Plamel for the past 30 years, Adrian? Uh, I think I would always say to this, learning to say no, um, to be very strong in uh, following your own path and to be confident in that path, um, take advice on the way, but make your own decisions. Um, somebody else who's very wise and then older than they said, something if you do the same as others you will get the same result and therefore if you um that that is a road to success but it is also a road to failure so make your own mark do something different stand out from the crowd those are the sort of things you need to be able to do to um uh, differentiate yourself your business your products from the other ones on the shelf Fantastic. And any long term, I know you've shared the new brand, the, the So Free brand, which is fantastic. What's your long term vision for maybe, I don't know, the next 30 years for Plamore and for yourself or anything Gosh. you'd like to let us know? The, the next 30 years. <laughs> um, well, having changed brand uh, um, uh, and, and, and launched our new brand, I don't intend to do that again um, <laughs> for some time. Uh, we do have, uh, and I have my eye on uh, on some other market sectors that I think are very interesting. 
um, I think that need challenging because they're not being challenged particularly well at the moment. Again, doing things differently, um, not necessarily look at the most obvious ones, ones that are most are harder to do as vegan. And perhaps, you know, that's what Plamel has done. We were the pioneers of soy milk. Nobody was doing that type of thing. We were the pioneers of um, dairy-free chocolate. Um, and so I think that, you know, groundbreaking type products are, are ones that are uh, tend to be the, the, the forte of Plamel. Maybe not necessarily always the most profitable, um, but we, you know, we are there to um, push and campaign for veganism as well as be a company. You know, that's our route. It's not just um, a commercial company. Got it. And you're also sponsoring the first ever vegan trade show in the UK in London later this year. That's October 2017, if people are listening in the future, which is pretty exciting, isn't it? It it is. um, (laughs) We are very supportive of Tim and the work he's uh, doing uh, on that show. Um, It is the first trade uh, vegan trade show um, of its kind, and it is is seen to be the... uh, of its time really and uh, so it it, is great that so many vegan companies can come together and uh, exhibit their wares under one roof and and, and it's great that buyers commercial buyers can go to a single place and um, discover all the things that are new uh, and existing companies so uh, you know it it will be a great event and uh, we're very supportive of that. Absolutely. We've come a long way from the small Conway Hall, I think it was, where I, I met your father, Arthur, and brought my, bought my first lovely plamel, and I shook his hand and thanked him so much for providing me with a lovely alternative to Galaxy that was vegan. So, yeah, very exciting I, times. Um, I so, remember Conway Hall very well. Yeah. For the listeners, it was, a, uh, it was quite an old kind of traditional English hall. It was, and we all squeezed in there, and uh, it was, was great. Isn't it fantastic, though? We're now in Olympia, and we're really getting out there to the masses. Thank you so much for spending some time um, with me today, Adrian. It's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege talking to you. I love what you do and the history of the company and that you're taking it to new strengths. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in person in London later this year. And thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was Adrian Ling from Plamel Foods. You can find out more at plamelfoods.co.uk. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 77. Now for our vegan business news roundup. A vegan chef in France has been awarded the Maître Restaurateur title after opening his eatery Vegan Gorilla in Nice, reports The Connexion. Willy Berton is the first vegan chef to gain the title, which was created in 2007 and is awarded by local representatives on behalf of the French state, backed by the opinions of an independent judging committee. The recipient must be a professional chef by trade, with professional experience, and must commit to using the best raw, fresh produce. And The title is reviewed every four years. Berton, who's been vegan for just two years, worked in mainstream restaurants for more than two decades before opening Vegan Gorilla, which he describes as haute cuisine that uses organic, sustainable produce. 
How fantastic to see more and more mainstream chefs seeing the light. It's really important for this to happen so that people from all walks of life get to experience vegan cuisine. And it's really fantastic as well to see plant-based chefs continuing to be awarded and recognised for their talents. The number of people in the US who identify as vegan has increased to 6%, up from just 1% three years ago in 2014, reports Report Buyer. The figures are part of a new report called Top Trends in Prepared Foods in 2017, compiled by research firm Global Data, which found six key trends impacting innovation in prepared foods, and these include go-meat-free and ethical eating. The report also found 44% of consumers in Germany follow a low-meat diet, another significant increase from 26% in 2014. It's great to see more people embracing plant-based eating. Of course, we want everyone to embrace ethical veganism and eliminate all animal products from their lives, not just what they eat, but these food trends are an encouraging step in the right direction. Finally, Earth Island Foods has become the first plant-based manufacturer in the US to receive Gold Level Zero Waste Certification, reports Veg News. The California-based company is the production facility for vegan brand Follow Your Heart, which makes vegan mayo veginase, vegan egg and other products. The certification from sustainability watchdog group Green Business Certification Incorporated comes as a result of Earth Island Foods diverting 97% of its waste from landfill through reuse of materials, recycling and composting programs and educating staff about waste reduction. The company also redesigned the lids of Veginais to reduce its packaging usage by £23,700 per year. CEO Bob Goldberg said, The love and care that Earth Island puts into every Follow Your Heart product is strengthened by the commitment to sustainability. It's simply an important part of being a responsible business in today's world. It's time for every business to contribute to changing the world for the better. Amen to that. (laughs) Totally agree with Bob Goldberg there. It's brilliant to see vegan companies like this taking a holistic approach by ensuring their products are good for people, animals and planet. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 